Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Well, I told you when I started, the when I first wrote the book of Ephesians, or the study on it, not the book. I didn't write the book of Ephesians, everybody. <laughs> when I first started writing on it, uh, which was over a year ago now, I was really trying hard to make every chapter one part so it would be six weeks. Well, I failed. I just want everybody to know. So we had two parts on chapter one and didn't even really cover it all. And then last week, Pastor Craig did chapter number two. But today I want to do like a 2.1 and um, just kind of cover some loose ends. He did a great job with chapter two. Um, but I just want to, I, I want to hit a few things that I want to either reinforce what he said or take Take uh, some scriptures that we didn't spend as much time on. So if you have your Bibles, that's where we're at, Ephesians chapter number 2. And one of the themes that I want you to recognize in the book of Ephesians is that salvation is so much more than a golden ticket to heaven. Uh, Salvation is way more than that. Jesus himself said in John 10.10, I've come that you, he didn't say I've come so that you could go to heaven. He said I've come that you could have life and life abundantly. In other words, he's saying heaven starts right now. Heaven starts when you accept him as Lord and Savior. So while you're waiting on the bus to come pick you up and take you to heaven, you might as well enjoy the blessings of being. Membership has its benefits, everybody. Amen? And, uh, and so uh, let me break the book of Ephesians down. In the, it's six chapters long, and in the first three chapters of Ephesians, uh, we deal with our position in Christ. And it's great. It helps us understand all these terminology like we're seated with him, we're adopted in him, all those kind of things. And we've really stressed the in him part. Well, chapters 4, 5, and 6 then deal with our practice. So the first three chapters are our position, the benefits. But then the last three chapters talk about how do we work that out? How do we walk that out? And uh, I, I would say it this way, and I'll put it on the screen if you want to take a picture of it. The first half of the book is uh, in Christ. It expresses, watch this, his responsibility. So the first three chapters, he, he says over and over and over and over that we're in Christ. And all spiritual blessings come when we step into Christ. Not when we step into church, when we step into Christ. How many know there's a difference? Right? And so in Christ expresses his responsibility to us, which his responsibility is make sure we have all spiritual blessings. But then the second half of the book of Ephesians expresses, watch this, our responsibility back to him. See, that's what we call reciprocity. Every relationship that's going to be successful, whether it's marriage or friendship or business or spiritual, every relationship has what I call tag, take and give. There's a rhythm to it. And if only one is giving, that will become bankrupt, right? And, and so Jesus is really requiring the same thing. Look, I have some responsibilities to you, but healthy relationship then gives responsibility back, to, um, back and forth. So uh, I want to read these opening 10 verses again. I know we did them last week. But before I do that, I want to set the scene a little different. I want you to imagine with me three patients, okay? Three patients go to the doctor's office, and three patients, they have heart disease. They go into the doctor, and the doctor has already diagnosed them, and the doctor says, look, I have some good news for all three of you. 
Um, but it won't make sense until I tell you the bad news first. And so he tells them the bad news. He says, all of you have heart disease because you've been chain smoking for 30 years, and unless you have surgery, you will be dead within a year. So you understand the good news isn't going to make sense until I understand how the bad news is, right? And so there's, as you can imagine, there's three different responses, just like there's 800 different responses to my sermons on Sunday, all right? And, um, and so patient number one says, he hears this, man, you, you, you have heart disease, you've been chain smoking for 30 years, you're only going to live one more year unless we have surgery. And patient number one says, that's outrageous. How could you criticize me like that? Who do you think you are? I came to this office for encouragement. You don't even know me. I'm never coming back here again. Hmm, sounds kind of like church. All right, anyway. Patient number two, who do you think you are telling me that my heart needs surgery? You don't know my heart. So you know what? I'm going to go and find another doctor that disagrees with you and agrees with my position on this thing because I'm not as bad as other smokers that I know, and I feel fine, and it's my choice anyway. Sounds like church. Okay, patient number three. Patient number three says, thank you for telling me the truth. It hurts to hear the truth, but thank you for telling me the truth. I'm so glad to hear there's a solution. There's some good news to the bad news, but the good news isn't quite as good if I didn't understand the bad more. So please tell me some more. Welcome back to Sunday services, all of you three patienters that are out there. That's exactly what Paul is doing before he writes, as he writes these first 10 verses of chapter number two. He's saying, Look, there's some bad news. We're all dying. You are all lost without Christ. And, and Craig did such a great job with this. But because of his great love for us, there's good news also, okay? So, a rather lengthy portion of Scripture to read here, but let's dive into it together. It says, as for you, you were dead. You, you had cancer, spiritual cancer. You were dead in your transgressions and sin. Did you hear Haley up here? She just said, I was dead, addicted, come from a long line of death and spiritual death, Right? in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. Is anybody glad here that you're not following the ways of the world anymore? Come on, Jeff, I know you are. All right, you better raise both hands. All right, anyway, sorry not to call you out, but anyway, all right. And, and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, and, and, and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Okay, that's a whole other thing. Uh, all of us also lived among them at one time. In other words, we were all sinners, let me say that again. I said we were all sinners. Did you get rid of all your amens on Craig last week? Okay. Uh, uh, have you ever met a Christian that doesn't realize this verse? They act like they've never been a sinner? Yeah, you know them. Okay. And, and, and gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But... And here's the good news. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. But because of his great love for us. Can we just say thank you, Jesus, real quick? 
I mean, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. In other words, it's abundant. Remember uh, in chapter 1, he lavishes it on us. He's rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our sin. In other words, while we were dirty, rotten sinners, he saved us and made us alive in Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. What else do I got? And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. If you have an old-fashioned Bible with you, underline my yellow words because that's where I'm coming back to, all right? In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Wow, there's a lot there. Um, These verses... Kind of what they do, if, if you didn't have anything except these 10 verses, you had no other Bible, these verses help us understand we're all sinners, but because of God's great love for us, we can be saved through Jesus Christ. And isn't that all of the story anyway, right? So these verses show us really the steps of salvation. Um, I don't want to nerd out on you too much, but I love this kind of stuff. So it's a great, these first 10 verses are a great resemblance of Genesis chapter number one. Let me show you. I'm going to line them up side by side in just a moment, but I want you to imagine if your life before Christ doesn't look just like the world did before God spoke. See, the Bible opens up, it says, in the beginning, and and it talks about how there was darkness and the earth was formless, but the Holy Spirit was brooding over the deep. I like that translation. Some translations say hovering. I think it's the King James that says brooding, And, and when it says brooding, it's almost like a mother hen guarding the eggs, just brooding, hovering over, watching over. So I want you to imagine the beginning, the creator, here is the world. Well, it first says he created the earth, and then it says it was in darkness. So it was in darkness, And it was formless, but the Holy Spirit was there, and then God began to speak, and everything changed. Doesn't that sound like our lives? Doesn't it sound? Come on, we were in darkness. Our lives had form, no form to it. We were just living life randomly, but because of the Holy Spirit brooding and pulling us into Christ, come on, God was able to speak to us, and life came out of death. Come on, I'm trying to get somebody to say amen here today, all right? So watch this. For those of you that want a little deeper study, you can check these, this out later. But uh, in, in, it opens up with a sense of desolation in the beginning. But that's our lives also. There was chaos and ruin. So that's Genesis 1 and 2. It's also Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. It's a fascinating study. And then we see the introduction of divine power. Um, and that's where the Holy Spirit is brooding and the voice of God begins to speak creation. That's what happens. You come to church and you hear a preacher or you hear a testimony of a friend of a Haley Brown and it's the introduction to divine power. Come on. It's the spoken word of God that begins to pull life out of darkness. Come on, right? You don't just randomly get saved. That's why preachers are so valuable. Thank you, Jesus. All right. I just thought I'd throw that in there. I'm trying to wake you up a little, all right? And then so uh, number three is the creation then of new life. 
And you can compare that, Genesis 1, 3 through 31, the rest of that, and then Ephesians chapter number 2, verses number 5 through 22. Okay, that's kind of the theological nerd out kind of part of me. So now what I try to do all the time is let's now bring the practical application to that theology right there, okay? So so I just thought I'd call it this, where do we start? And uh, it's where we start. We, we start out just like the earth started out, in darkness. We're born into darkness. We're all born as sinners. Would you do me a favor? Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. Just do that real quick, okay? I just want to make sure you guys are here today, all right? Okay. And some of you were, never mind. Anyway, some were more dark than others. How many know what I'm saying? All right. I'm going to start calling out names again. No, I won't do that. All right. So that, that's called, it's really a, the doctrine of desolation, or it's, a, it's the theology of the fall of man. When God created Adam, he put him in the garden, Adam and Eve, and he gave them access to everything. You know this story. Genesis 2.17 says, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for if you do that, you will surely die. And no further, I don't even think she had swallowed the fruit. The moment she took it and bit it, their bodies began to die. That's when things like arthritis and hair loss came. I want everybody to know, which I'm up here with both of them, all right? And, and that's when our spiritual man died immediately. That's why we must be born again. Yes, Jesus died for the sins of the world, but we have to accept that gift. Otherwise, it's just what the, it's a wrong doctrine of universalism where Jesus died, everybody's going to heaven. No, if you give me a gift, I have to reach out and receive that gift. Right, everybody? Okay, and so it's, that's, that's the fall of man, that Adam and Eve sinned, therefore we're all born as sinners, we're all born spiritually dead, so the longer we live this life outside of Jesus, the more that emptiness in our spirit starts searching for things to fill the void. How many of you look for a, through a lot of different situations, right? And, and, and it can be numerous things that we look for to fill that void because we're spiritually dead. That's why Jesus said in John 3, 3, to the greatest Bible scholar of the time, unless a man is born again, he can't enter into the kingdom of heaven because we're born spiritually dead. And, it, and it's almost like we can't quite know God until our spirit begins to dwell with his spirit. Our spirit comes alive and his spirit comes to dwell in us and so forth and so on. All right. So, now, um, so that's why we must be born again. And then Jesus shows up, and in the Gospels, it keeps showing us how dead we are. Now, um, so for an example, the Gospel describes the resurrection of three people. So there were three people dead. In fact, let me show you this. There's a 12-year-old girl that's dead in Luke chapter number 8. You can go read this later. There's a young man that's dead in Luke chapter number 7. And then there's an older man. Many of you might know him as Lazarus, okay? He was dead in John chapter number 11. Here's what's interesting. There's a 12-year-old girl, a young man, and an older man. All are dead. How many know when you're dead, you're dead? Well, I guess if you're dead, you don't know you're dead. I don't know, but you, you, you know, all are dead, but the differences in their death is the state of their decomposition. Let me say it another way. Let's relate it. We are all spiritually dead. This difference is, is the state in how bad we stink before we come to Jesus. 
How long have you been dead? How many, how much, how deep have you gone into death? You guys understand what I'm saying? And, and so this is why some of us take a little bit longer to heal, and some people take a little longer to recover. Have you ever met the person that comes up, gives their life to Christ, and they're just like, they're, they're, they're just like instantly Mary Poppins. You know what I mean? I mean, they're just like, wow, their breath doesn't even stink anymore. You know what I'm saying? And there's other people that are saved. They got saved. They're on their way to heaven. And while they're giving their testimony, they're dropping F-bombs. You understand what I'm saying? You know, like Gene here does. No, I'm just kidding. All right. And... Uh, Sorry, Gene, you were <laughs> low-hanging fruit there. Anyway, all right, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, how could it be that some are saved, but, well, some grow up in moral homes, some grow up in immoral homes. Some don't grow up in what we call a home at all. Some start on a level three morally and ethically, and some start at a negative ten, and they've actually made more progress because we're all dead. We're just at different depths of our death. Are you understand what I'm saying? So verses 2 and 3 show us all the enemies that we fight that are trying to keep us dead. So verse number 2 and 3 show us that all the enemies that are killing us and trying to keep us dead. Let's look at it again in verse number 2. It says this. We just read this. Which you, here's the three enemies trying to keep you dead or at bare minimum enslaved, spiritually dead. Okay? See if you don't recognize them. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of the, there's number one, the world, the ways of the world are trying to keep you dead. Have you noticed that? And, and, and then the kingdom of the air. How many know the devil is trying to keep you in bondage? And then, and it says the spirit of who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying our, the cravings of the flesh. There's the third enemy. Let's look at them real quick. The world. Um, the world, um, the, the world is not for you. I know motivational speakers would tell you otherwise, but the world wants you to adopt its worldviews, and, and we can have worldviews, but how many know your world is limited to the world that you live in? If you live and dwell and never have left the valley, then you have one worldview, but I could move you down to Memphis, Tennessee in the buckle of the Bible belt and all of a sudden there's a different worldview just 1,500 miles away. I could take you to another country, a third world country that, 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 is, that, that is run by dictatorship and, and there's a different worldview there. So how do we know what worldview is right? See, the, the Bible tells us that the world is always trying to push us into its mold. I don't know about you, I've felt it even more since COVID. The world is really forcing their values and forcing its, its system on us, but the world's way is trying to keep you in spiritual death. The reason we want you to come to church and be on the journey is not because I'm looking for something else to do. I want you to have something to combat against the ways of the world. The Bible says don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind, which is the Word of God. And, and as Christians, we have to make a conscious decision to choose I'm going to have a biblical worldview. Because if you don't, what worldview are you going to choose? Are you going to pick a Republican worldview? Are you going to pick a Democratic worldview? Are you going to pick, uh, I mean, and the list is forever. 
And by the way, everybody, let me go on record and say this. The, the deep Christians are going to boo me, but the liberal Christians are going to go, oh, I get it, okay? And so the unsaved people in the room, or at least listening, might really get this. I don't necessarily like everything that's in the Bible. Part of my flesh wants to say, why does that verse have to be in there? Thank you for three honest people in the room, all right? But I chose when I decided to live for him and receive all of the blessings that he gives me, I'm with this company. I wear this uniform. I agree with this worldview. Come on now. So whether my flesh likes it or not, I chose to have a biblical worldview. Come on now. And the Bible has something to say about all the areas of our life. I choose to have a biblical wor worldview when it comes to my neighbor, when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to, come on, you guys get the picture? And so there's some things I'm like, man, I, I just, God, you would have done better if you left that story out. But I chose to believe that all Scripture is profitable and it's for me. And if I'm going to receive all the benefits and all the, come on, chapter 1, if I'm going to get all the benefits, then he has a responsibility, but then I choose to turn around, I choose to turn around and have a responsibility back to him. That's good preaching, I don't care how you're looking at me, all right? Number two, the devil is the next one that's trying to keep us dead. The devil is in charge of this world. No wonder the world has its views. The devil, by the way, everybody, the devil is real. And he has one job, and that's to rob, kill, and destroy you. And he will mess with you while you're in church. He will, he will try to get you distracted and disagreeing. He'll try to get you hurt by somebody in the church, forgetting that the church is not a place with a bunch of perfect people. The church is a place with a bunch of broken people and hurting people, and we're going to bump into each other every once in a while. Come on now, right? And, and so... The devil is using the same tricks. He's using the same tricks as he did all through history. It's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And, and so, which brings me to number three, the worldview, or, or excuse me, the world, the devil, and the flesh. These three are trying to keep you spiritually dead, the flesh. Now, this is important that we talk about this, because a lot of preachers will get up, but Paul doesn't. A lot of preachers will get up and blame everything on the world, our community, our politics, our president, my boss, everything on that. Or the devil. You know, the devil made me do it. Come on. How many are old enough in here to remember Flip Wilson? Come on, somebody. If you're from a younger generation, you didn't get that. Okay, so. But the flesh. We got to recognize that the flesh is part of the problem. The guy looking back at you in the mirror, or the woman looking back at you, in, that's part of the problem right there. Because the longer we go without salvation, the more we create appetites in ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's why James says it this way: We are all we all fall down when we're pulled away by our own evil desires, not the devil, by our own stuff. That's why the Bible says when the devil took Jesus out into the wilderness to tempt him, the Bible says the devil had nothing in him. Because there was nothing bad in him to pull him. There was nothing to hook on to to get Jesus. Come on. How many know you got some stuff that the devil can hook on to? 
if you don't keep it in line. Come on now, right? All right. So the flesh. And here's the problem. We Christians love to blame everything on the devil. Oh, it's the devil. It's the devil. And, and here's the problem with that. And, and that's a, it's a real popular thing right now. I mean, there's this movement that is just not of heaven, uh, of trying to cast devils out of Christians. It is not of God. Because what fellowship does light have with darkness? Come on now. When light moves in, darkness flees. We walked in here this morning. Well, Larry did. And it was pitch black in here. He turned on one light and all the darkness disappeared. Come on now. And so we like to blame a lot of things on the devil, which is real popular in churches right now. But the problem with blaming everything on the devil is then we don't have to take any responsibility. And my Bible says God had responsibility, and I have responsibility back to him. Come on and say amen to that. So they're like, it's almost like if you could imagine these three, they're like three prison guards trying to keep you in prison, all right? So that's where we start. We start as sinners, and, and, and so number two, those verses give us this, what we get to become. So where we start and what we get to become. Uh, let's see, how am I doing? I'm doing pretty good. All right, here we go. On time, I meant, all right. So, so, so here's what we get to become. Just like the earth was dark and formless, divine power showed up and changed the desolation into something good. That's what we just heard Haley say changed my darkness into something good. Whew, I love that. I like, uh, we, we read out of the NIV most days because it's the most popular in our culture, but I grew up in church and most things I remember in the King James Version, and I love when it gets to verse number four. It says, we were dirty, rotten sinners, dead, blah, 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 and then it says in verse four in the King James, it says, but God. And then it says, because of his great love. I, I think those two, I preached on this verse one time for six weeks straight, but God. And I had this lady in our church that made me this big old, beautiful, framed piece of art. And all it says was, but God. And it reminded me all the time. The finances might not be there, but God. My health might not be what I want it to, but God. My dad might still not be following God, but God. Come on. My life might not be what I want it to, but God. There's always a but God, and the but God, I love how he said it, the but erases the previous and turns everything around. Aren't you glad that because of his great love, amen, everybody? They might be the two most important words in literary history, but God. And this is where the story gets good. You can almost hear the dramatic music change. It, it, it's impossible. It's unthinkable. It's incomprehensible. All those things that are impossible just happened. The devil was trying to roll the credits. Man, Jeff, I see you sitting on the second row, and I should have had you share your testimony. Powerful testimony. And it's almost like I could see the credits rolling on your life and, and the end coming across your life because the devil did all the right things. And you guys know the story too. But God. And it's almost like a nail-pierced hand reached in and took away the the end and stopped the credits from rolling and stopped the music and said, the story doesn't end here. Come on, your best days are still ahead of you. Come on now. Let me, let me show you this. 
Now, that might have just sounded like a bunch of preaching hype right there, but no, it's biblical. If you study Revelations chapter number 5, it is one of the most dramatic stories in the entire Bible. Hollywood couldn't do it justice because all the 24 elders and the angels of heaven are gathered around God's throne room, and they are weeping and wailing. Why? Because God is holding his testament, his testament, his will and testament for our lives. But no one is found worthy to open the scroll. And if you know the legal system, unless the seal is broken and someone reads it, then we can't get what we are entitled to. And so no one is worthy to do it because nobody has satisfied the requirements of the law that were set up in Genesis 2.17. Until, and the story takes a dramatic turn, just like yours, when the credits are rolling on your life, all of a sudden, one of them says, don't weep for the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who has just been slain, has walked in, and he took the title deed, broke the seal, and read God's will for our lives, and his will is that all men would be saved. Come on now. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah, I love the story. And it comes down to, yeah, but why did Jesus do that? Verse 4. But God, because of his great love. Oh, I love that. People who think God is mean, have you ever met those people? I mean... Culture is really trying to turn God into a monster for the last, you know, billion years. Like, they're really trying to turn him into this really uncaring, mean, and all kind of adjectives. And all, uh, but anybody who thinks that God is mean, you do not have a revelation of Ephesians 2, verse number 4. But God, because of his great love for us, right? Watch this next verse. It goes on and it says this. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Wow. Now let me explain this real quick. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle where the presence of God was, a, you would come to a priest. And the priest would do all the work and offer your sacrifice up to God because you weren't allowed to go into the presence of God. Only a priest was. And of all the furniture, and I just recently taught on all the furniture in the tabernacle, of all the furniture in the tabernacle, the laven, the candlestick, uh, just all the mercy seat, all of that, all of the furniture, there's not a chair in the entire tabernacle. Because the Old Testament priest was never done doing his work because he constantly had to offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of our sins. But the New Testament priest named Jesus came along and he died once and he died for all and he pulls up a chair right next to God at the seated place next to God. And then he says, oh, and by the way, now that you're adopted into this family, you get a seat right here on the right hand of God also. Come on, everybody. That's so good. See, now, we don't quite grasp that because an ancient people would have understand this. Because if you conquered on the battlefield and you were a hero, then you would achieve glory or, or, and you achieve glory for the people of your town or, or kingdom or whatever. When you came home, you were given the most glorious place of honor that was possible. You were seated at the right hand of the throne or at the right hand of the king so everyone could celebrate you for all that you had done. Woo! 
Because you had conquered. It was the place of the greatest honored. So it made sense then. Jesus, because of all accomplishments, was taken to heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father because he defeated death, hell, and the grave, liberating whosoever will to be sons and daughters of God and to be adopted. And he, got, he has the greatest place in honor in the entire universe. And then it doesn't stop there, but Paul says, and oh, by the way, you get to have a seat with him in the seat of honor, legally meaning everything that Jesus has, you have also as a conqueror in Jesus. Come on now, right? Woo! Come on. That makes you feel like dancing, don't it? Come on, let's stand and dance. No, don't. All right, all right, here we go. Now, I love this next verse. I'm going to kind of speed this along a little bit. The next verse, verse number nine says, Something that I love, I'm just going to simplify it. Not by works so that no one can boast. Not by works. We don't, we don't earn it. Have you ever met a Christian that thinks they still have to earn it? Yeah. They're the most miserable Christians to be around. And I, and I say that half funny, but it's true. Because they're working so hard to get God's favor. But grace is unmerited favor. Ugh. Not by works. Um, see, uh, again, in this time when Paul's writing this, he understands this because soldiers, be, how they would talk their soldiers into going into battle is they would start, how they would motivate them is the night before they'd say, look at your iron chariots and, and we have 10,000 and they have 5,000. We have the greatest king. We have the sharpest swords. We have the longest spears. And they were boasting, trying to not just look at what they had, but look to what they had to ensure their strength. How many know if we do that, that gets exhausting because your sword gets dull and your bank account runs low and everything that we can boast about is what we did and everything that we do, we have to stay on the treadmill of life keeping that thing up. I got to go to work, got to go to work, got to have more money because I'm boasting in. All right, we'll move off that. Boasting, something we can be proud in, something that gives us confidence to face life, but it gets exhausting. So Paul says, don't boast in what you do. That'll get exhausting. And you can spot an exhausted Christian a million miles away. They're trying to pray longer, trying to read more Bible, trying to be at everything all the time. They think an evil thought, but they won't tell you they thought an evil thought, right? And they're working so hard and they're exhausted because they think God's favor comes from what they produce. But Jesus said, come follow me. Take my burden on you. It's light. My yoke is easy because I've already done all the work. Isn't that great? Um, it, I, I, I think it's great anyway. Verse number 10 says this, for we are God's handiwork created. Now watch this verse. This is important. For everybody that's sitting on the sidelines, just waiting for the bus to pick you up, this is important. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works. We weren't saved by good works, but we are saved to great good works. Haley wasn't saved because of her good works, but she got saved and realized, I want to do some good works. Come on now. Which God prepared. It's crazy. Haley's been saved a year, and she's involved on the dream team. She's a, and and, and I, I wouldn't dare ask you this because this would be too confrontational and too rude, but I'm wondering the people that have been saved 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, where are you? I, I mean, I'd never say that, so I'm just saying it to the people that are watching online. So 
which God prepared in advance. See, he put a spiritual gift in you. He put a personality in you because he had something for you to do. We are saved to do good works, not by good works. Okay, let me do the last one and get out of your way here. Uh, number three is, is here's what's great. Here's where we start. We all start as sinners. Here's what we, be, we can become because of God's great love. We can do great works. We can be in him. And then all those spiritual blessings we've previously talked about in this series. And then he just wants to remind us in case we forgot who's invited. It's not just because he's writing this letter to the church, but he wants to make sure that people outside the church know that they're invited to get in on the party too. Isn't that great? But it goes a little further than this. And let me break it down this way. Verses 1 through 10 show us we are alive in Christ. Okay? So we have a restored relationship with God. I won't read these next verses because it will take too much time. But if you want to study this, verses number 11 through 22 then show us that we are one in Christ. And, and Craig did a fantastic job on this last week. Um, and, and he was talking about it's, it's no longer the color of our skin anymore. It's about that we are one in Christ. And, and I love the whole, uh, we're not colorblind. God made us all colors, and God made us all backgrounds, and God made us that way. And, but this verse is showing us because the church used to be just for the Jewish nation. But now he's saying, and Ephesians deals with this a lot, it's for all you Gentiles also, all you outsiders, all you that don't know how to act when you show up to church. Yeah? And it's, it, it, he, what, what Paul is showing us right here, who's invited? Everyone's invited. It's restoring relationship with one another. See, chapter 1, we're restoring our relationship with God. As we get into chapter 2, when, once we get restored with God, come on, we start restoring with one another. God, one another. God, one another. Oh, that kind of makes a sign of the cross there. God, one another. And by the way, while you come to church and you're trying to seek God, guess what? You're going to bump into one another. And it's going to get on your nerve. I'm just going to tell you right now. And if you leave the church because someone got on your nerve, go find one that they don't. I'm on some of your nerves right now, I can tell, all right? Uh, it's my spiritual gift. Anyway, <laughs> so the second half of the chapter, Paul begins to deal with the issue of racial recognition or racial issues. The Old Testament puts a great wall between the Jewish race and the Gentiles, but the cross becomes the great equalizer, everybody. But, but it's more than Jews and Gentiles. It's seasoned Christians and rookie Christians, don't treat a rookie Christian like they don't know. You're, you're just jealous you don't have the passion that they do as a new Christian. Yeah. Come on, somebody. Yeah? Um, is it, remember, let me, let me put it in my language. I know this isn't real super theological, but at the cross, there's no big potatoes and small potatoes. We're all just a bunch of mashed potatoes. Amen, everybody? That's what we are. Ephesians 2.13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, right here, in case you don't know this, Paul is writing to the Gentiles. See, these guys are already in church, but you that were once far away. Can I just see the hands of all of those that were once far away from God? Can I see, see your hands? Yeah. Those of you that were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus. 
Now watch this. This is great. I'll end with verse number 18. Look at verse 18. It says, For through him we both have access to the Father. We, how many? Both. Wait. It doesn't say we have access. It says we both have access. That, that, that terminology is meant to be, oh, I think Paul's the one that came up with Radius Church, open circle. We all have access. We all have a right to come and sit in a black chair and search for truth. We all, red and yellow, black and white, Democrats, Republicans, have a access to the very, come on, presence of God. Isn't that good, everybody? Oh, I love that. It gets rid of all the hierarchy stuff. All right. But we all, let me just simplify it by saying this. We all have to walk through the same door. And the door is called grace. And we were all dead. Whether you've been dead a little time or a long time, or what stage or age, we're all dead and we all need grace. I'll close with this. Imagine yourself a child abandoned on the streets of New York. In fact, let's take it back a little bit. Imagine it's the turn of the century in the 1800s, and and your immigrants' parents and you get on a boat, and you're coming to America. And uh, on the trip over, your parents die. The boat arrives in New York, and now you're alone, and you don't speak the language. I'm not making the story up. 30,000 orphans found themselves in this situation in the mid-1800s. Crazy, isn't it? 30,000 orphans. But a guy by the name of Charles Brace, who was a 26-year-old pastor, he organized a solution called the Orphan Train. I like the old gospel writers that sang about a train is a coming. Hmm. He put hundreds... He put hundreds of orphans on the train heading west. He announced to the towns that anyone could adopt a child. And by, there's more to the story, but by 1929, over 100,000 kids were adopted by families that could provide for them. With incredible stories. There, if you study through history and go study the orphan train, incredible stories. Okay, that's fun. That's a neat history lesson, but let's personalize it. Imagine you're an orphan. You don't speak the language. You can't eat. You don't have a way to provide for yourself. That's why I love that chapter 1 of Ephesians opens up with, and we've been adopted in him. And imagine yourself an orphan on the streets fending for yourself, all alone and scared. And you're put on this train, and it's heading west. Let's just hypothetically say it stops in Michigan, just because I like Michigan. And it stops in Michigan, and Henry Ford steps out, says, I'll take that one. A day before, you didn't have two pieces of bread to rub together. The very next day, you have access to everything that Henry Ford has access to. Come on. He takes you into his mansion, and everything they have is legally now yours because you're an heir to the fortune. That's the story of my life, and that's the story of yours too. We were orphans, but God 
in his great love. Put us on the grace train. Amen, everybody? Come on. All right. Would you stand with me all over this place? And let's close in prayer today.